Welcome to Her Story Sessions. I'm Brittany, a woman on a mission to learn more about women throughout history and share it all with you. If you like this show, be sure to follow me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session and can be emailed at herstorysessionspodcast at gmail.com. While the United States has yet to have a woman president, it's not for lack of them trying. In fact, they've been trying since before they even had the right to vote. Over the course of our nation's history, more than 200 women have tried. The first woman to ever run for president of the United States was Victoria Woodhull, way back in 1872, nearly 50 years before any woman could even vote for president. The seventh of ten children, she was born as Victoria California Claflin on September 23, 1838, and grew up in a rural frontier town in Ohio. Her father was a con man and allegedly abusive towards her, and after only three years of school when she was 11, she was forced to leave it when her father was caught in an arson and insurance fraud scheme and was run out of town. Although she had very little time to get an education, her teachers thought her extremely intelligent. When she was 14, she met 28-year-old Canning Woodhull, a doctor that the family had hired to treat her when she was sick. A year later, at just 15, she was married to him and ended up having two children with Canning, but soon discovered he was an alcoholic and spent all his time and money at brothels. She worked outside the home to help support the family, working several different jobs like cigar store clerk, a seamstress, a stage actress, and as a spiritual medium with her sister Tennessee, who went by Tenny. Victoria divorced Canning in 1864 after 11 years of an unhappy marriage. Divorce was not an easy thing to do at the time and was seen as scandalous no matter the reason for it. But Victoria believed that women should have the choice to leave unbearable marriages and became a supporter of the free love movement, wanting to end the stigma around divorce and to help women leave abusive marriages. She moved to New York with Tenney, where she met and married Colonel James H. Blood, who introduced her to several reform movements and she became a women's rights activist as well. In New York, Tenney and she kept working as spiritual healers and through this became acquainted with the newly widowed railroad tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt. With his help, the sisters opened a brokerage firm in 1870, becoming the first woman to operate one on Wall Street. But for Victoria, this was just a means to advocate for women's rights, laborers, and the poor. Using the funds from the firm, they began publishing the newspaper Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly. In it, they promoted social and political reform, like women's suffrage, and the free love movement. In December 1871, they also published the first English translation of Karl Marx's The Communist Manifesto. They also published a detailed account of an affair between Henry Ward Beecher, one of the most famous religious leaders in the country, and Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother, and one of his parishioners at his church. Victoria made a powerful enemy with the Beecher family and was jailed for a short time for libel and publishing obscenities. Earlier that year, she had a chance to speak to the House Judiciary Committee, becoming the first woman to speak directly to a Congress committee. She spoke to them in support of women's suffrage, urging them to support it and vote for it. She had already announced her intention to run for president in a letter to the New York Herald on April 2, 1870, stating, while others sought to show that there was no valid reason why women should be treated socially and politically as 
A being inferior to man, I boldly entered the arena of politics and business and exercised the rights I already possessed. I claim, therefore, the right to speak for an unenfranchised woman of the country. I now announce myself as a candidate for the presidency. I am quite well aware that in assuming this position, I shall evoke more ridicule than enthusiasm at the outset. But this is an epoch of sudden changes and startling surprises. What may appear absurd today will assume a serious aspect tomorrow. She ran on the platforms of universal gender and racial equality under the law, civil service and taxation reform, and opposition to land grants given to railroads and other corporations. She also supported socialism, a vastly radical idea at the time. But when she made her announcement, she was only 31, and the constitutional requirements state the president must be at least 35. This didn't seem to be a big issue to anyone, but mostly because mainstream circles didn't take it seriously. Even if she had won, she would have turned 35 within the first year of the presidency, though. She was nominated in 1872 by the Equal Rights Party, and Frederick Douglass was nominated as her running mate, but he never accepted or acknowledged the campaign. The campaign was also negatively affected when she published The Beecher Affair, which she had published in the middle of all of this. She also publicly fought with her critics in the newspaper, who ridiculed her statements of free love and socialist ideas. Ultimately, the campaign was unsuccessful, and there's no record to show if or how many votes she received, but she had impressed other suffrage leaders with her dedication and created the beginning of the path for many other women that would follow in her footsteps. She divorced again in 1876, and the next year, she and her sister moved to England for a new start. There, she met her third husband, John Biddulph Martin, marrying him in 1883. She continued to write, running another newspaper with her daughter for nine years, starting in 1892. Later in life, she saw women gain the vote in both the U.S. and in England. She passed away when she was 88 on June 9, 1927. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session.